you know, go get this box. It's got it's got a bunch of family kind of like memories and stuff. So we bring out this box and it's got so much cool stuff. It's got like um uh what did it have? It had like this uh prescription um that was written for my grandmother um and it, there was like her diagnosis. My grandma she 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 passed away due to um um oral cancer and so that original script was there is a very moving moment and like her wedding dress was there and um just all of these memories and as we're pulling them out we see a we see an envelope um with my grandfather's handwriting on it and it's just a grocery list it's not a big deal you know it's just like you know it's, it, it's you, know, all, you know a couple of eggs and this and that um and we open up that envelope and there's like a couple hundred bucks inside Taka Talks, exposing financial systems one story at a time. So welcome everyone to another episode of Taka Talks. Assalamu alaikum. Um, we have with us today Omar Yunus, who is self-described an idealistic American law and finance graduate who has spent his entire career in Islamic finance, which is very unusual for an American. He has worked for VCs, managed about 100 million euro of funds, and developed halal market indices for stock exchanges. Today is his birthday. Today is your birthday. It is. How it old is. are you? 41. And he enjoys eating cinnamon toast crunch despite being 41 <laughs> years old. Thank you, Omar. Tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Jazakumullah Khairan, first of all, uh, for inviting me, and, and many thanks for, this is our second conversation, the first one was excellent, so I thought, hey, why not record the second one? <laughs> um, though I, I, I looked at my notes for the previous conversation, and it was like very brief, it was like, these people are great, and then that was it, I, that's all I wrote, and then I was like, oh, it must have been, it was pretty early uh, for After Fun at the time. So, uh, I'm a Midwestern kid, uh, born and raised in Peoria, Illinois. Um, which is in central Illinois, if you're not uh, familiar with the great city. And by the way, if you're interested in uh, starting a, a company, a startup, Peoria is a great place to be. Low cost of living, decent markets, access to uh, much larger markets, great uh, network, uh, IT, and, and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, that's my pitch for Peoria. Um, they also have, a, they also have a, an accelerator out here um, through the uh, generator group, uh, this distillery lab. So if you get a chance, come on out, give them a, uh, give them a try. Anyway, um, born and raised here. I have a background. I guess you could kind of describe my, my professional and, um, and, and my educational career as a series of choices uh, that maximized my parents' anger, <laughs> um, if, if we're being perfectly honest. So it started out, um, I, I went to school um, in, in the hard sciences. Um, I got it. Uh, I got, there was like this uh, automatic med school program that I was successfully got into. Um, and I told my parents then that I wanted to go to law school. They're like, okay. So then I go to law school. I thought I was going to do patent law. Um, on a whim, um, during my first year, I did this, um, what do you call it? Like this, um, this kind of, I guess, like an internship sort of um, for an Islamic finance startup. I worked in their legal uh, department and uh, very quickly realized that, like, this is what I have to do. Like, this is, this is it. Like, I have to be in Islamic finance. Um, and so, <laughs> so then I took a year off of law school working there and, um, uh, you know, like gradually, you know, like the, the anger is building, like their patience is reducing. 
Um, and then I took a job. Then I finished up law school, took a job in the middle of of Europe, backwaters of Europe, Sarajevo, Bosnia Herzegovina, um, and now like fever pitch anger. Um, but uh, alhamdulillah, everything worked out. Uh, worked for a PE fund out there. Um, also, uh, that's that's where I got that experience with the stock exchange. Um, absolutely fell in love with Islamic finance, and if I, I don't know if we'll get a chance to touch on it, but I, I genuinely believe that it is uh, the missing piece. It is it is it is the final piece uh, for for building an alternative modality um, for for Muslims in in the U.S. and also also abroad, uh, a genuine Islamic finance system. And I think um, both Takadal and and Afterfund are are looking at different pieces of that puzzle. And inshallah, we're gonna we're gonna slowly build and slowly get there. So to touch on what you just said, so you said you worked for a PE fund, and this is in Bosnia. We'll said? be right back after the break. Tech Talks brings you stories from around the world that will help you understand how crypto and Islamic finance can change our lives for the better. Subscribe and follow us to keep learning. Yeah, Bosnia and Herzegovina. It was through a BBI, Bosnia Bank International. Okay. Bosnia Bank International at the time. Um, its major major shareholders were a couple banks in, in the GCC and the Islamic Development Bank. Now, oh. um, Bosnia is not so a it member. It was an Islamic bank then. Right. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. All my my entire career has all been Islamic finance. Uh, uh, I a career to be to be clear. I've taken on jobs, you know, different small legal jobs and stuff like that, and I've done um, some gig work also in the legal and finance. Uh, you know, only in the legal field, um, and and all of that. Some of that has been Islamic finance, not all of it. Um, but I, I I had to go abroad because I mean at the time the only kind of Islamic finance work that I, I was really familiar with or that was available was was through uh, you know, like selling mortgages you know guidance residential and that kind of stuff and um, Saturna Amana which was basically the only shop in town um, in those years they didn't have a lot of openings and I that wasn't my area of specialization um, anyway so yeah I, I've I've, t- I've typically worked in, in more opaque markets private equity. Um, I also worked, I did some work in venture capital. So after, um, after being in Bosnia, I got recruited to work at a VC fund, also Sharia compliant, um, also focused on, on um, not necessarily Islamic finance only, um, but we, we, we did quite a bit of work in Turkey. Um, and then after COVID moved to a UK, again, Sharia compliant um, PE firm that was more focused on opportunistic investments in, in real estate. Um, in in London, where I'm still technically a partner, but I, I I've taken a step back um, to to focus on 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 Afterfund. So yeah, okay. throughout my career, yeah. So so your um, focus area so, uh, up till recently with uh, Afterfund, your focus area has been in private equity and investing in general. Yeah, investing generally, and and I I would say that my role at Afterfund has also continued with that. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm typically more focused on, on the finance and legal uh, questions that we engage with, though I, I'm definitely uh, on a day-to-day basis um, working with Janan, who is my co-founder, Janan Ganich, really, really cool guy, who I actually met in Bosnia, uh, of all mm-hmm. places. So when I wow. was working at, um, at BBI, he, he was just a kid. Um, he, I don't know if he had graduated college, but he was maybe either graduated or, or close to graduating, and he had come up with this um, this company and he came and we kind of hung out and I tried to help him with a with a couple contacts and then we stayed in contact um, after that it was five five or so years ago a long long time ago and and uh, alhamdulillah he he um, he got he's now he had an exit with that company I mean he did incredibly well 
And then maybe a, a couple of years ago, him and I were talk, talking about, you know, what kind of things do we want to do? What kind of, because I knew I, I, I wanted to try and at least try something and, and, and put something out there um, for, for, the, for the community. Something that we, we knew that the community needed, not just in Islamic finance, but in a, in, in a broader sense. And uh, this this is the idea that we that, that we came to um, after fund. So, yeah. so we're, we're gonna get to talk about after fund in a little bit. But sure. before we get there, I want to hear your experiences in the PE world and investing world, considering that your focus was Islamic finance. How is it yeah. different from let's say the regular non-Islamic investors? Yeah, I would I would say I would say my experiences are very different from what a lot of people would would consider to be PE. First of all, um, in Islamic finance, there's there's limited leverage, or if there's lever uh, leverage being uh, use, the use of loans. So um, I think the most famous use of PE is you know the RJR Nabisco uh, Nabisco kind of um, you know barbarians at the gate example that a, a lot of people um, know about, and that's the leverage buyout. So you you take on a ton of of debt, you buy a company, and then you do stuff with that company to increase its value. And the bet that you're making is that you will be able to increase the value of the company far more than and quickly enough, uh, such that your interest payments on the debt and the principal of the debt do not overwhelm you. So uh, though you do use some debt, or sometimes you use, you structure some stuff um, through debt in order, yeah, actually, let me not get into details, but you do use some debt. That's not that's not how a lot of uh, Muslims would prefer to do it, and our our investors are also very sensitive to that. I think that's one major difference. Um, I guess the PE fund that I was doing. There's a lot of different strategies. There's you know leverage buyouts. There's a roll up strategy. I I, I I did some work with that. Um, actually, when I was um working with the VC, um, we did uh, something called a value chain strategy in in Bosnia and Herzegovina, where we did from seed to table, created an agriculture company, for lack of a better word, ecosystem, uh, business ecosystem, so that we could um, provide these, these, these incredible opportunities for the country to grow and develop its own agriculture kind of um, companies uh, and, and, and uh, economy. And what was really cool about it is that, you know, it's, it's a small enough country that I could see my work, like, show up on a shelf, you know, and I could see people's lives change. And um, this to me, you know, this to me was was what I had signed up for for Islamic finance generally. Islamic finance, um, it's about sharing risk at its core. And I have a whole story about that, but it's also about it's it's also about being a stakeholder and and maximizing um, your understanding of all the stakeholders and trying to, to fit that in to a, uh, a meaningful, you know, kind of like helpful uh, generative a business plan uh, for 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 the community at large. Anyway, sorry. So I would say that that's those are the major differences. We don't work as much with leverage, and then the strategies that I've used um, thus far. Well, I've also um, done something called vulture capital, where um, we <laughs> take on, pardon. Oh no, I was just laughing. Vulture capital. Yeah, yeah. Where you take on companies that are on their their last legs, but oftentimes for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual value or the underlying value of the company. So. Um, uh, so one example, I can't give too many specific examples because now we're moving into stuff that's covered by an NDA. And, but basically there are companies that for political reasons could not exist in certain countries. Um, but the underlying company itself was great. So you switch up a couple people, make sure that they are the right, you know, fit for that 
political regime and all of a sudden, hey, you're making money again and you can you can do uh, very well. Uh, that's not to, again, that's 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 maybe not I don't know how typical that that is. The uh, the stuff that I've been doing most recently is is actually it's it's pretty it's pretty common. So, uh, you know, you you take an opportunistic real estate investment means there's a, a patch of ground and a lot of regulations and then you get through all that stuff and you build something and then away you go. So, yeah, that's that was the stuff that I was doing um just prior to after fund. Um, yeah. Again, being Sharia compliant means you don't take on well, you you structure your leverage differently, so it's a different type of debt that you take on if you take on debt, and by far most of it is is a uh, is based on equity. Okay, no, this is very interesting. You know, I was at um, the FII uh, in Riyadh. It just happened last week sometime, and I was on this. I was watching this panel uh, with okay. Mohammed El Abbar, who is like the I think he's the president, like the founder of Imar in Dubai, which is like a huge real estate company. And he was sitting there, and the panel was called um, something to do with the bubble of the commercial real estate industry, right? And then there were a bunch of different commercial real estate, basically hotshots, sitting on the panel with him because, you know, this is FII. And they were talking about, you know, how the rising interest rates have essentially be become such a problem for the industry. And there's this guy, you know, this uh, Emirati, he goes, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, we don't, we're not affected by rising interest rates. Because right. we generally don't deal with um, interest rates <laughs> at all. And he was he was trying to say, you know, we don't really use debt. We tend to buy our stuff with hard assets. And I was like, this is so cool. This is such a perfect example of why Islamic finance and why, you know, following the, our principles in, in regards to staying away from interest actually helps in the real world. Because right. as soon as that interest rate starts going up, which is what's been happening, look at what's happening. Everybody's like, oh my God, we cannot do this. And she's going to crash. There's a bubble. There's a bubble. There's a bubble. And here's a guy from Dubai. He's like, yeah, meh, nothing. It doesn't bother us at all. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So that's you know, cool. That, yeah, that's, I, that's, 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 that's a, that's a beautiful observation. I, and I, I would say that, um, you know, if you don't work with debt generally, then totally, totally, that, that's going to work out for you. The whole financial world is interconnected. And so even if you're taking on Sharia compliant debt, they are affected um, by um, Eurobor and LIBOR. And these are the, the, the interbank um, interest um, loan rates. Yes. And so yes, yes. This, this forms the basis of interest rates all over the economy. And if you're borrowing money from the government or if you're borrowing money from, you know, where, where, whatever sort, if you're borrowing money from maybe anybody except an investor who cares about this kind of thing, well, then, um, you know, that, that interest rate, no matter how it translates itself structurally in an Islamic finance sense down the line, that's going to impact you. It sounds like the gentleman you're talking about, um, you know, he, he just he didn't need it at all. He did. He, he had pure equity investors. Uh, and when and, and the problem with that in PE is it kind of puts you in a little bit of a disadvantage in the sense that you can't. Um, I feel like I, I feel like this. I'm I, I'm I'm getting too far down the rabbit hole, but just I'll, I'll I'll wrap it up. I'll tie it off. That in in PE, you know, there are advantages to leverages in the sense that um, equity is 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 a little bit more expensive, and so your upside is then limited if you if 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 you don't have access to leverage. But overall, it works better for everybody. Everybody's interests are tied well. Um, and I do think that there is a healthy mix of debt and equity because they, they create slightly different um, incentives. And there was a guy, Michael Gassner, um, who I worked with at BBI. He had this really beautiful presentation about why 
Islamic finance also needs debt because it creates a different set of incentives of disclosure. Um, there's something called information asymmetries and so on and so forth, where they where, where it really level helps level the playing field um, for both sides and, and it helps everybody kind of make sure that that that, that their uh, interests are aligned. Anyway, I apologize for that. I know it went really down, deep down a rabbit hole there. Um, no, actually, it brings up a really important point. Um, and I'm going to try to couch it in terms that are relevant for like the average guy. Okay, number one is you mentioned that the entire ecosystem of banking is intertwined in one way or the other. So whatever you do, you're going to somehow be exposed to interest, right? Now, this troubles most Muslims or Muslims who care about these things because you're like, well, how Islamic is Islamic banking? Now, again, I want to say very clearly that it is permissible by the scholars and has been vetted by the scholars. So I'm not saying it's not Sharia compliant, but it is those kinds of questions that, you know, cause uh, Muslims not to adopt Islamic banking because they're like, eh, I'm not really Islamic about it. That's number one. Number two, you brought up this um, idea of uh, disadvantage. So I feel as Muslims, because um, there is this narrative that we are at a disadvantage because we don't take interest and we don't charge interest, right? And it actually, uh, in the fiat system, it really is applicable because they keep inflating the money and the yeah. money gets it printed because of these interest-bearing loans and these bonds and things like that. And we're not, be, we're not taking any of the interest, but our money keeps devaluing. I feel that it's really that disadvantage. There's no level playing field for us Muslims in the fiat world. What are your uh, thoughts? Yeah, um, what do I want to say there? So uh, if, you, if you look at the early days of Islamic finance, you will see that, that the measures and the structures that we put in place now were intended to be, and maybe are still intended to be, a little bit more of a stopgap. That there's this idea, and I, I mentioned alternative modality, that we're, we're looking to create our own system, a way of engaging with the world that is not based on, on, on interest. Um, it's incredibly, as you had mentioned, incredibly hard to do. Even if you're not taking on debt, by the way. Even if you're, because so much is responsive to debt. Debt under, underpins so much of the economy, and it, it, it's involved in so many different transactions that it's very, very hard uh, to get away from. So yes, I agree with you. Um, I, I don't think that this necessarily um, diminishes where I disagree with, with, with Muslims who kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater, that kind of thing. Folks have, have given their lives and, and, and put forth genuine effort to create as halal structure as is possible. In Islamic finance, we have to have to, you know, have to recognize is this tiny raft of halalness on an ocean of of of, of interest, right? And it, we're just floating on top of it. Um, and so in that way, we we are we are um, we're influenced by it. We're impacted by it. We can't. There's nothing we can we, we can do about it in in the in the in the short term as long as you're connected to um, the larger uh, financial system. So um, so. Yeah, I, I I agree in many ways, and I I understand where the where the conversation is heading. I think we're we're now going to start talking about decentralized kind of uh, structures and, and 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 this kind of thing, which I think have a great deal of promise and um, can 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 do a great deal of good. Um, and I think have having have I th I think it, the the response from much of the scholarship to date has been maybe not as um, as well versed about what's going on as, as maybe, 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 maybe could have been done. Uh, but anyway, looking forward to that discussion. So um, 
in short, I, I certainly agree with you. I, I, I see where you're going with it, and I, I agree with you. It's, it's really hard to get away from. When it comes to um, trade fight, traditional finance and Islamic finance, there's, like I say, there's a debate, and alhamdulillah, as long as we are, uh, uh, we stick with uh, the Jamiat al-Ulama, where they approve whatever has been brought to us. So thanks God, we're able to use a bank account, we're able to do transaction globally. Of course, with a certain level of Sharia uh, uh, compliance acceptance, and it's up to the individual uh, to, to choose what is good for him at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, there's no... Uh, of course, there's so much to be done still at, at this level because, as you mentioned, we need to build more and more product uh, to to kind of uh, bring the traditional finance, Islamic Sharia compliance product into life. And it's happening, actually. There's a lot of effort being taking place mm. within this traditional finance to make it even more and more uh, acceptable and moving to the, the step of uh, uh, great adoption, you know, with people who, who want to have a halal loan or whatever. But now we are looking at, as you just mentioned, we are uh, we, we are looking at the new technology that are taking place, digital currency, uh, cryptocurrencies are taking place, new technology, blockchains, uh, smart contract. All these new things are coming uh, into the plate. I would say not only of the Muslim but the, the global population, and one of the main reason why. This new technology are coming, and when we talk about decentralized uh, ownership of your own content, ownership of your asset, ownership of your cash, it shouldn't be difficult for people to own their own money, and it seems to be difficult still today, you know. Uh, so you see that the trend with the um, uh, the people in general, globally, Muslim or non-Muslim, they are trying to be more independent, and they want to, to take the ownership of whatever they own, whatever they have. And you see this trend of uh, new technology shaping the world today that has been uh, one of the reasons, uh, the 2008 crisis, one of the main reasons of the drives of the population trying to say, hey, our system is broken, financial system is broken, we need to find a solution. Having said that, of course, as Muslim now, we have seen this uh, technology being in use for the past uh, 13 years, blockchain, so on and so forth. We are kind of like stuck with a traditional finance that is a very troublesome for us because we don't see much of a way to escape the riba system. It is always embedded somewhere and stuff like that. Mm. Now we see this potential or this new technology that could be a big shift for the Ummah and for the Muslim. Uh, by the way, they were the the population were the least um, moving forward to this new technology. We seem to be always waiting for things to happen among general population before we step in. Surely. Okay, and there were a lot of restrictions. For good reason, you know, or bad reason, some people say, well, it's to protect the greater, you know, uh, maslaha of the population. They don't want to be scammed. They don't want this. So now that we have this new technology, that can kind of reshape our, you know, Islamic finance condition. What's your take on that? And I mean, you know, you, you're building now a work. Can you share a light on that and how we, you know, how we're heading basically? 
so I, I guess the, the question is, what direction do I do I think the UMA is heading, and 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 maybe within the context of blockchain itself, um, adopting to this new technology and using it for the betterness of uh, our community. So, what's your, what's your vision? You've been talking to people around you. I'm sure you hear things. So, I want to hear your feedback on that. Uh, in many ways, it's 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 generational. Um, and so I think folks of my generation are, are, are very uh, much open to it and, and, and younger folks are, are, are very much open to it. Whereas folks of the uh, older generations, as maybe you, you may have, have mentioned here, is um, they're a little, bit, a little bit more skeptical. The scholars I talk to basically have, um, for example, stuff like with, with, with Bitcoin, because that's the most uh, commonly used, um, you know, um, or at least the most the famous, most popular, is that, you know, Islam has a pretty clear view of what counts as a currency and what counts as an asset. And um, I think I think the major issue that scholars have current uh, currently with, like, let's say, Bitcoin is that while there are claims that it is a currency, it's, it's essentially being used as as an asset. Um, and I, I we can just go into a currency in Islam in, in an Islamic sense is just a medium of exchange exchange. It's it's just um, it's a way to transfer value um, and its value should only be the should only be the nominal value of the currency itself. Um, where whereas if you take on an asset, the idea is that that asset should appreciate in, in, in value or depreciate, you know, uh, in, in Islamic finance, um, appreciate or depreciate. And so a lot of people, for example, will just take on Bitcoin, not because they, they want it as a medium of exchange. Um, but only as a store of value. Now, a store of value is is certainly a function, but it's not um, the the main function. So when you talk to when you talk to Islamic scholars and you talk to them about um, Bitcoin, which is where a lot of the conversation happens, I think this is where a lot of them get stuck. But but the upside to this, and and really what that comes down to, in my opinion, is adoption and 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 um, and folks getting on board with it and using it as, as a medium of exchange, um, whatever, whatever coin you have, or taking other measures. I think IDB, I just recently saw, um, I just recently saw a, an article that IDB had partnered with a firm in the Netherlands to create an algorithm to help stabilize the value of any, any sort of cryptocurrency so that they're, they're automatically bu buying and selling or using that, the, that cryptocurrency um, with that, with the algorithm to help stabilize its 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 value. I, I just want to just briefly get into why that's important. If today, um, uh, and 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 to, to talk about this idea generally, just very briefly, or at least from my perspective, you guys certainly know much better than me. But um, uh, let's say I want to buy an apple today, and the apple costs a dollar. Okay, no problem. So I give a dollar, and 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 and, and um, when it's U.S. dollar and, and many other types of currency that Apple will bounce around a dollar, you know, based on supply and demand. Um, but when you're using a, a medium of exchange that is not stable, tomorrow that do that Apple could be worth $2. And um, the day after that, it could be worth 50 cents. And that's because the value of the currency itself has gone up and down. And that is because people are, are, maybe not using it in the in the way that you you want a currency to be used so that's why idb right now is is doing is is working on that algorithm which speaks to me of maybe a little bit of centralization which maybe gets away from but i i, I don't know I don't, I don't know the details of it 
So, um, so I think that that would be the critique of it. And, 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 and the, the obvious answer to that is adoption and getting, get, getting, getting involved with it. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is because of the limited amount of these currencies, um, I think that they are right. I mean, uh, there is some now, and the SEC is now starting to come down on some of these, 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 some, some crypto as unregistered securities, um, which is something that I, I have a not so tangential kind of interface with, right? Um, and, and the idea, the idea with these securities not being, um, being these these being unregistered securities and why um, that might be a problem is because they are ripe for, um, for, for speculation and, and, and fraud, right? Even something as quote unquote large as Bitcoin still now is subject, at least, you know, when you, as an observer to, to massive speculation, hoarding, then, then tanking the market. I mean, this is something by the way, that has happened with fiat currencies. This is how um, George Soros made his money by, crashing the Malaysian economy, right? Uh, by buying up a bunch of um, Malaysian, I think it's ringgit, and then and then waiting and waiting and then selling it all of a sudden and then, you know, crashing their economy. So it's not that's that's not something limited to, to Bitcoin, but when or 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 to, to cryptocurrencies generally. But when it's small enough and folks can um, can buy up a bunch of it, then it's it's also um, potentially subject to manipulation and that kind of stuff. So um, I guess those 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 are some of the considerations and concerns that that people have with it. But I I mean I definitely see the value from especially from an Islamic finance perspective. And there's no question. Um, I mean I had briefly engaged with IDB actually just right before the um, the COVID hit, where they they had to we both had to change directions very quickly. But um and a December of twenty to 18, I, I sat down with them and I was like, okay, here's the idea. It involved, it involved using um, blockchain and cryptocurrencies to help create a way that you could exchange debt in a halal way, which to this date has not been able, they, they haven't found a, a, good, a good way of doing it. Anyway, it's a longer story. But um, so I, I think there's a lot of interest in it. It's just that the ex, to get us to the place where scholars are going to be, um, you know, and I think there are scholars who are really starting to come on board and starting to understand the value of it, right? Um, because a lot of like the a lot of the uh, kind of arguments which I feel are non-starters, you know, where they talk about well, it has no underlying value, bro, bro. What do you think a dollar is right now? <laughs> like, you know, what do you think a euro is right now? Right? The, all the fiat currencies are basically the same thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know what. So, so those arguments are starting to go away, and now we're we're, we're getting into a little bit more like you know actual the meat of the issue and um yeah it'll it might take governments to get on board which good luck with that because you know who who which was the last government to get off the u.s dollar um was it libya what happened to them right you know i mean that's 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 you don't pull off of the dollar or whoever or whatever um very easily you know because there's actual value in being a reserve currency and 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 or any type of or having any type of currency, and, and that value is one that the those interests will defend. So it, uh, this is, I mean, there are geopolitical issues there. I mean, there are actual considerations in that transition. Um, and I don't, I personally don't have a, like a roadmap for it. But to maybe summarize and, and answer your question, I think scholars are slowly coming on board. I think it's a generational thing where older folks are a little bit 
questionable. Then there's, it, it, you know, it's honestly, the Muslims that I've seen engaging with it are doing things that I would personally not consider halal. So, you know, and, and there, Allah has given us an incredibly broad and, and vast and, and colorful ummah. And um, certain certain parts of that ummah might help push us forward um, where others uh, other, others might not. Um, that would be the second part. So there's that 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 niche of people who might engage with it. And the third is generational. That younger folks are not um, are not so um, colored and biased in in their view of currency and what what should be acceptable, and that they may they may um, come on um, ad- adoption wise. Um, as for me personally, it was something that I was deeply interested in. But but these issues that I brought up are, are ones that I don't want to say keep me up at night, but 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 they are ones that. Um, that that give me pause and, and and concern. Now I know that you guys take great steps to ameliorate these issues and and, and others. Um, and so I don't mean this as a critique of any particular uh, company or, but these are just just general concerns and considerations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the way we look at it uh, ourselves, we believe in the on the we believe in the underlying technology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Blockchain is a perfect way, actually, to be used into uh, tracking every single trans- uh, transactions and everything, and uh, li- like streaming process as well. So that's why there's a big adoption, big push mm. in most of the country today. So the underlying technology is there. Then smart contract, likewise, yeah. it's an amazing tools to actually have a digital contract that could be set up for any basic contract between two two people you know and uh, without having those very uh, expensive uh, um, uh, legal agreements that take mm. place so you could go with very simple agreement we agree on a b c d and that's it it could be auto managed auto auto regulated the, the the code is is the law and stuff like that then you look at all the uh, 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 technology that are coming and tied up all this uh, new technology like AI, you know, that brings some, uh, uh, you know, some uh, data point and mm-hmm. uh, repetitive uh, tr- things that reduce all the cost of uh, data analytics and stuff like that, tied up to a blockchain solution. All this kind of new technology are going to be a mundane task that's going to be done by this technology and kind of reduce a lot of steps uh, that we're taking as 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 human to to do random tasks. For example, uh, you want to manage uh, a clear ten, a transparency ledger for in the Takaful concept. For example, you have to know uh, how much is going back to the to the participant. It's mm-hmm. a very difficult task to do that uh, on the on the with uh, hundreds of uh, accountants and stuff like that. You can have everything light up on the blockchain, and you know exactly. Which recipient participate at which amount, and the, the the you know and the the takeaway from each participant in this blockchain is open ledger can be verified by everybody, by the government, by the individual, by entities. So all this transparency brings a lot of trust into your own business because now it's all about trust. For example, something that I challenge all the time is like the charity businesses. There's no transparency. And even the halal charity trans- businesses, you never understand what's happening behind, around, and people are getting upset. And I don't want to go into the debate of the charity things, but it's happening 
a lot that people are really annoyed because there's lack of transparency, not because of the institution or the charity holders. It's just because they don't have the tools to make it more transparent. They mm. don't have it. So they're going to say, okay, I want to do a legal DD. I want to do a DD account, a financial DD. It takes too much time. Put it on the blockchain, Habibi. That's it. Why, why are you resisting this beautiful change? You should. Should, should people should go into more transparency. Mm. That's one thing the, to look at the technology. The other thing after that, of course, you know, to transact into those technology, you're using like they call crypto, or I would call it digital currency. Actually, my existing bank account now is, still, is digital. You know, when I transact between my bank and I send you money, you into the US, do I see the dollar? Do I see the cash? It's all is digital currency somehow you call it a crypto or whatever you know it's 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 i don't see where where is the big fist the big fist is what there's a bunch of people globally who own the printing press and they and some also some uh, you know the country they have some kind of so uh, power to 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 actually uh, control the the liquidity and they they need sometimes at the end of a new government taking taking position, and they're like, you know, we need a hundred billions of dollars uh, to do whatever, especially the US. And they go say, yeah, what do we have to do? Just print, you know, just print, and uh, let's 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 get it done. So now they have an issue with like not having control of uh, of our resources, our crypto, our money, and stuff like that. So this kind of changes, big shift that are happening, is putting some people into. Uh, to trouble but if you look back at the like i say if you look at the technology itself even themselves they're like oh we need this tech but we don't like the crypto part so i mean it goes hand to hand if you say no to to technology improvement so you say you say no to to the rest so and they are going so this that's why it's confusing but what they are okay with is launching the cbdc Okay, that's they are fine with that. Now, if they create their own crypto, so meaning removing your own money and giving you that was actually one of the last called on the European uh, uh, Central Bank. Basically, they announced a big news. They said, Oh, we are moving right into the crypto. Now, they are going right into the CBDC and creating a, 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 a digital uh, euro. And they're like, Oh, don't worry, you can still keep. Keep your euro cash, you know, your cash euro, and but you you have an option now to have a total digital uh, uh, euro. So they're giving you this option, which actually freak out a lot of people because it's centralized. Now right. you have more control over the money. So they are just delayed. So they are not okay with decentralized crypto, uh, currency, but they are really okay with centralized, and that's scary, because if now they control you your money. Your digital euro, you have no more move, class. Forget about it. Back then, you have still some cash. You know, some people they have cash under the mattress, whatever they they call it. They can still <laughs> live with it. Now they have full control, and they are giving you quote unquote an option to choose between cash and a digital euro. Mm. But eventually, they're going to put everybody back to the CBDC, and that's it. And it's going to happen for the US dollar as well. And then you have like a click of a button. You tweet something they don't like. You know what? That's it. 
Yeah. So the brothers, they can do whatever they want in terms of, oh, we want to do, um, uh, uh, you know, like uh, what they call it, uh, boycotting of a certain... Uh, oh, right, uh, right. Companies. And, yeah. Plus, yeah, Habibi, you know, you're just going to make a tweet for boycotting if you are tied up to a digital uh, 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 crypto uh, CBDC as a, at the government level. Your account goes back to zero in a in a split second. Mm-hmm. So it's so that's why the push from a decentralized, uh, independent uh, economy, I would say, it's a must for everyone because we're all going to be at the mercy of class, you know, zero to whatever your account, you know, that can happen. You see. So um, I so I I, I first of all I, I understand. Uh, well, I don't want to say I understand, but I, I certainly hear your arguments. I do not – I am not so well-versed in the decentralized versus uh, centralized currency arguments that I can have uh, a ton that's meaningful to say. But I can um, reflect maybe on what I I understand about markets and, and, and people um, in, in a financial – as financial animals generally. And this is probably the traditional talk. Uh, thought on this, you know, that comes from, you know, like, you know, university economics and so on and so forth. Our entire financial system, um, when we, with fiat currency, it just generally is built on trust. It's the idea that this dollar, when I take it to the bank, I'm going to be able to get it um, the next day. And even if the bank fails, the FDIC has insured it. Okay. Now, we, we both know that there's a ton of problems with that. And that that kind of system actually just means that that dollar is going to be worth less over time necessarily because of, you know, printing of money and, and debt. And so we, we understand that. But the person that we are trying to convince about these types of issues looks at institutions and they they feel trust in institutions. In an older generation, a one one that grew up like in an analog era and even before that before there was anything like like. You know, like televisions were any sort of clarity, you know, uh, you know, definite had any sort of definition, and so on and so forth. Those folks, what what you're asking them to do is substitute trust in institutions for transparency and trust in technology, right? Right. So yeah, right. So yeah. I, I think that's that's yeah. the that's the base base baseline but, argument. Yeah, right? I, I I got you. I got you on that on that level. What is uh, they either live in another planet because you don't need to go. Uh, Further than Lebanon, Turkey, uh, uh, Egypt now. Hmm. So this uh, so-called uh, uh, trust in the institution. Right. When you see the depreciation, you know, you guys right. in the U.S. are like, you don't see it coming in your face right away. Right. Is 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 a delay effect. Sure. Is effect. So you, you 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 they don't see it and oh they're in denial because they as you mentioned some countries are completely wiped off. You look at you, you neighbors in Latin America, oh, yeah. El Salvador, uh, El Venezuela. Argentina. They went from hyper, yeah, hyperinflation. So yeah. again, this institutional money. Now, if if you come to me, say, "Oh, dollar is still king." Yeah, of course, dollar is still king. For how long? For how much? How many? But right. how, how much time? But yeah. the, the funny thing is not that is, if you want to see the institutional uh, fall, imagine the Lebanese going uh, to the bank and saying there is no money. Whatever you have as a pepper right. is as good as a pepper to not even start a fire, wood fire, uh, is useless. Burn it is better. Right, right. So there's, no, there's, a, there's a definitely something happening yeah. globally. I, I want to be and, clear. I, it's yeah, not that yeah, I disagree yeah. with you. I, I'm just saying that that's, that's the hurdle that you have to overcome. Um, 
and I mean these it, and the people in charge now who are slowly retiring. I mean, these are the same people who are like, I can't open my email, right? So their trust in technology is like not super high. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, I got a virus from clicking this and they're like, I don't know what's going on here. You, you talking to the, to the acquired, I'm one of those guys who cannot yes. even open the email, but still I make the effort to, to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to be clear. It's not that I disagree with you. It's just I, I um I'm just speaking from like what what what's the activation energy? You know what's what's the hurdle that you have to clear to get a, a lot of uh, folks on board? And um and well, I, yeah, the good thing that you just mentioned is that is a question of trust. Is you know the good news when you look at some of the exchanges, how much you and me value it, and how can we like how can I trust you to send you. Uh, some uh, you know some some money and you send me money I trust you that's why you have all this now the centralized exchange taking place also taking some kind of responsibility even mm-hmm. though I believe more in a decentralized network versus a, a centralized network but you have all these things are happening and of course they're getting a lot of uh, um, backflat you know getting sued by uh, some countries because they're like oh we try to protect to protect uh, the end user. Yeah, for sure, the end users need to be protected. But the main reason is they are afraid of the massive adoption of these things without them being prepared to come up with their own solution. Oh, right? I agree. Yeah. But the technology technology is there. Uh, people are, are trying it. Uh, you know, people are going to lose. It's like people are afraid. They're like, oh, you know, there's so many things are happening. Of course, during the time of the internet, many things were happening. Hmm. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, scam were happening, you know, and they will happen. But when you look at the amount of scam, I was talking to one guy who was telling me, you know what? There's more scam in the credit card business than in the digital space, crypto space. But you know what? Because of the high fee that you're paying on the, on the, on the credit card uh, fee, that pay for the scam amount to cover the industry. Otherwise, everybody will run away. Mm. So the high fee that you're paying for the, so they managed to say, okay, we're going to pay, uh, make sure you pay high fee to avoid, I mean, to cover all the scams that are happening in the credit card. Every day you go to your mm. internet, now you buy an airplane ticket five minutes ago, and you have to shut down your credit card because somebody took $1,000, $2,000. Sure, sure. So these scams are existing, but what they did, they police themselves, they put a charge and that we have, we don't have yet this kind of sophistication within the crypto right. space. If right. now I say, Every transaction you do will will charge you on the crypto space two percent to cover the scam issue. We'll solve the problem with a uh, we had a scam there. We need to pay uh, this guy because this happened happened. You see where I'm coming from? Yeah. I do. No, first of all, I, I just want to make clear: it's not that I disagree with you. I, I just want to I just want to kind of talk about. No, you're fighting with me. Yeah. You you keep on fighting, going back to your to your things. I'm sorry to say that. You see, you agree with me, but you disagree. That's the thing. <laughs> Omar, you stuck into your you you like one thousand years old uh, industry. No, I'm just joking. No, no, it's all right. I, I I I look. I hear you, and I see. I definitely see value in it. There's there's no question about that. There's no question about that. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, I I I want to jump in because I actually we have gone forty five minutes and we haven't said anything about after fun, and oh, this no. is the reason why we're having this call. So I want you to tell me, Omar, why did you start this company and what does it do? So, you know, um, the why is a, is a great question. Um, for me, there was like two stages to why. There was, there was this idea, Janan's story 
for After Fun, which one day maybe you can talk to him about. Janata's story for After Fun started before he started After Fun. So he had an issue with where his charity was going, and he was unhappy with where his charity was going. For me, it was like, it started out as a very, a much more abstract thing that like our, like the Waqf system was something that underpinned Islamic civilization. And in the same way that I believe that Islamic finance is necessary for us as a community and an ummah to grow and, and to really realize our potential and to give something back to the world. I thought that the Waqf system was equally necessary um, to, to rebuild our, 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 our civilization and, and to become contributors again. I believe that. Um, and that's why I started. But it was in the middle of, it was, it was a couple months in that, um, you know, that I, that, that something just really kind of like, um, it really touched my heart and, and really put me all in on it. Um, and it passed, passed the exploratory stages. Um, and, and, and after that point, we, we started accepting donations and I knew that this was going to be the story in one way or another for the rest of my life. Um, we were sitting around the, we were sitting around our kitchen table. Um, my family's all over the world right now. Uh, my, my sister's like in the UK, my brother's in Los Angeles. Um, I, I, I used to be in the UK and in Bosnia, but I'm here now with my parents to try and, you know, keep an eye on them, <laughs> make sure they don't get up to too much trouble. And um, so we're all sitting around the kitchen table and uh, one thing leads to another. My mom's like, oh, you know, go get this box. It's got it's got a bunch of family kind of like memories and stuff. So we bring it up. We'll be right box. back after the break. We believe that the financial system is broken and that our banks and insurance companies don't have our best interests at heart. We've built Tekaturn to help us get together as a community to save, earn, and access credit. Join us today and discover how you can grow your savings while helping others. This box, it's got so much cool stuff. It's got like, um, uh, what did it have? It had like this uh, prescription um, that was written for my grandmother. Um, and it, there was like her diagnosis. My grandma, she, 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 she passed away due to... Um, um, oral cancer and so that original script was there is a very moving moment and like her wedding dress was there and um just all of these memories and as we're pulling them out we see a we see an envelope um with my grandfather's handwriting on it and it's just a grocery list it's not a big deal you know it's just like you know it's, it's you, know, all, you know a couple of eggs and this and that um and we open up that envelope and there's like a couple hundred bucks inside and and what we kind of collectively realized is that that money had just been sitting there. My grandfather had died, you know, 20 years ago. That money had just been sitting there doing nothing for him. It oh, was wow. brutal. It was a it was like a it was like a terrible feeling. And, you know, you know, my mom was like, well, we should donate this. And my brother was like, or it might have been my sister. My, I think my brother was like, yeah, Omar. Omar does that. That's, that's, that's what he does, you know? And, and so when I say that my blood is in this, that my family is in this, that's what I mean. We took that money and, and partially because of this, um, we've created a, a, an asset. I don't want to jump too, too far down that, but we, we now have a way that you can give Sadaqajaria for those who have passed away um, it, so that they can create in perpetuity good deeds for themselves even after they passed away. That's 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 a real application. That's when it became a part of me. 
It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just for Islamic finance and for Muslim civilization and for the Ummah. That's when it became, this is a part of me. This is a part of my DNA. So what, what are we talking about generally? Afterfund is a digital donation platform that allows a donor to create a donation that goes in perpetuity. That one donation can make a 20 or 30 times greater impact than it would through traditional means. And the way we do that is with something called a waqf or an endowment. And that just simply means we take a donation and we invest it, and then the profits are continually used for a cause. I want to be clear about that, for a cause, not for a charity, necessarily. Charities are stewards. They are vehicles of causes, but we are focused on the cause itself. And that's the understanding um, understanding with the charity. In a nutshell, um, that's that's kind of what Afterfund does. So we work with charities to kind of create funds so that that single donation can support that charity and that cause over and over and over again. Uh, let me just give you a quick um, uh, quick example because we, we just partnered with these folks. They're called Bonnie. Um, and the, the reason this is so interesting is because it, it kind of shows the traditional versus versus the innovation in, in the space that we've come up with. So the traditional way of doing a, a walk or Sadaqa Jaria is like buildings, institutions, and wells, water wells. Well, Bonnie builds water wells, okay? Bonnie goes to Pakistan and they're um, building out to different parts of the world. They're based out of Michigan, um, do a lot of work in Ann Arbor, um, you know, fundraising in Ann Arbor and, and um, Go Blue, um, University of Michigan. I met them at, 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 at ISNA. Really great dudes, right? And so what they do is they just, they, they build water wells. Well, now instead of, let's say that water well, for whatever reason, climate change, tectonic shifts, et cetera, et cetera, that water, that well goes dry. If this was a traditional waqf, then that means that the good deeds, now Allah works in whatever way he works in. And so maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't work exactly like this, but there, you know, literally speaking, that good deed has gone dry, Right. What we do is we create a fund, and that fund creates new wells. So that even if that one well goes dry, we can we can say, hey, no problem, we'll just fund the next one. So it's like it's like it's a it's a good deed machine that keeps creating more and more benefit for a given uh, a given donor, right? Um, and I just. The, to me, that, that that concept is so powerful. Now, to the best of my knowledge, we are the first we are the first perpetual endowment fund de designed for, for for wells. So that's 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 just like a small thing small thing that we've done um, in, in in that space. But now we've done it just in a way that it's like way more accessible, also, right? So that like so like people, especially of our generation, millennial, but anybody, anybody is open to this sort of thing. Um, they can come in and very, very easily find a cause and su support it in perpetuity. Um, we've digitized and modernized what was a, a very beautiful traditional model um, based in the Sunnah um, at Khyber. And we wrote an article about that on Medium. And you, you can check it out. It's a beautiful story about Omar and um, how, how he took a, a date orchard and made it into essentially uh, the first walk. So yeah, alhamdulillah, that is the idea that you just take one donation and you make it into something 
something that can go on and on and on. And you do it in a way that, and I think you guys will appreciate this, is 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 um, decentralized, is is um, made to be anti-fragile through uh, not being um, fixed on necessarily one charity, where that money will, will uh, be working for that cause in perpetuity or until, inshallah, that cause is no longer needed, maybe one day, inshallah, and then can be can be shifted to other similar causes. So, yeah, that's, so, that's so the idea behind Afrofunding. So where where are you at now with the project? Uh, where are you sitting now? Oh like, man, you, did you launch? So uh, it's it's a, so we started out with this pilot program, right? And we did we didn't do any marketing with it. We just like put it on our LinkedIn, and that's maybe where you found us, or maybe where I found you. I I, I forget the uh, the the origin story there. Anyway, so we um we just put this on our LinkedIn, and then. Uh, so we have the starter charity in Chicago. Basically, it's a masjid. They give they give food to um, to, to folks in need, you know. And so, okay, so we're like, fine, you know, let's just see what happens. We were able to quickly create an agreement with them and work with them because they knew us. And they're they're part of the Bosnian community, bro, bro. In just a couple of weeks, we outperformed them by four to five times per donation, online donation. We had. 46% week over week growth and we um we knocked we knocked the expectations out we overfunded one of one of the causes it was a quran class a, a quran kind of teach we overfunded one of our causes we were just like oh wow that's actually too much money for this thing the point i'm trying to make is where we're at is the adoption has been off the charts People are really excited about this from a Sotha Kajaria perspective. And they're just, I think they're just, they're, they're, there's a fatigue in seeing your donation just get burned up, right? And when you talk to charities, this is something that's actually happening. I'm not saying, put aside any sort of idea of fraud or mismanagement, because I think 99% of folks are not like that. They may not be sophisticated. They may not be taking the, the notes that they need to take and, and, and keeping accounts, but they're not, they're, they're not fraudsters, right? But- if they get $200,000 more than they need, then they're printing off a bunch of pamphlets because they don't, they're not sure what to do with it, right? Whereas, you know, for example, we create a buffer fund sometimes for charities to help them take that $200,000. And maybe you don't need it today, but now it can grow and there's a disaster. And God, and, and so, yeah. So on that on that level, so what's your transparency, transparency mechanism and stuff like that? Because even though we say that, you know, the guy doesn't wake up in the morning just to be a fraudster, for yeah. sure. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like trying to do his best, and he will have this and that, and then he has uh, fees to pay, and he, he forgot to mention this to the community. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to pay my rent. I need to, yeah. all these kind of things, or you know, so you can move from a Hyundai to a Bentley, of course, depending yeah. on what you drive. You know, he's driving a car. <laughs> you know, fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, again. Where do you bring uh, transparency, support in order to say, hey, guys, you know, this is it. This is where it is. I want to hear about that. Yeah, well. I love that. I love that question. So there's a couple of ways we do it. Um, you talked earlier about smart contracts. Unfortunately, we still we still use the old fashioned one. So we have a series of contracts um, that give us a right to access um, information about a how the money was spent and b how many people were uh, were were helped through 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 the through the funds itself, which means we have access to receipts, um, we have access to to ledgers and, and 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 their books and so on and so forth. 
Um, second, we only worked, and so this is another traditional structure. We only work with U.S. registered 501c3s. Um, the U.S. government itself has certain standards of of uh, transparency that they require, um, that uh, and certain standards of, of reporting that they require um, yearly and annually. Um, and then the third thing is is a little bit more of a you know an AML anti money laundering type of thing where you know we we check. Uh, make sure our partners are not any on any sort of OFAC um, list, um, which is which is like a list of, of prohibited uh, folks that you, you can't work with because we do work with some in, international charities and stuff like that. So I think those are the three 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 major ways that we that we try to do and try to engage with um, our, our our charities. Um, the, up to up to this point, these have been these have been um, agreements and folks that we know deeply and personally, so that if they uh, now, Pani is 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 a is is a new um, series of charities that we're about to launch. Where this is not the case, we didn't know them, um, you know, deeply before this, and so we're relying on on the contracts and these other things to to help help us move forward. So Pani has a great reputation on its own. I mean, they're doing incredible work. Um, putting that aside, we knew the folks that we worked with, and them mismanaging the funds means that they're. I mean, the Bosnian community is not a very big one, and so. You know, you you mess with somebody, and then the whole community knows, and and that's um, that's not that's that's not something that they want to engage in. They go door to door asking forgiveness, you know, from their family and friends type of situation. Yeah, I actually have a, a question. So, um, the idea of the walks is very powerful. Uh, so I would like uh, to know. Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to clarify my understanding. If I understand, so if I donate a hundred dollars. Right, that hundred dollars doesn't go directly to the charity. It goes into a fund that generates profits, and then the profits is what goes to the charity to do whatever it is they need to do. Am I? So, let me just take a quick step back. So, um, all of our donations are tax deductible, right? So, uh, to be clear, and, and I, th- I, I think this is a great uh, sister. This is a great way of analyzing how we work um, functionally. So, uh, uh, we'll, we'll say follow the money. So, where does the money go? So, inshallah, somebody comes to our website or, or they, you know, on mobile or something like that. They come to our website and they make a donation. That donation actually goes directly to the charity. The charity itself, so now it's tax deductible. The charity ex- itself then transfers it to, 100% transfers it to, a, um, to an investment account. That investment account is, 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 uh, generates profits. And from those profits, the charity is supported. Uh, okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the second half was correct. I just wanted to clarify the first half. Okay. So then that money sits there. And is there like a, a shelf life? Meaning does that money eventually get released and used by the charity? Or does it just stay there until the charity either shuts down or, you know, goes forever? Yeah. So this is a great point. And, and um, this might be getting a little bit into the nitty gritty of our agreements, but that's okay. I uh, Because this is something that absolutely needs to be. So, um, I think this this taps into a larger issue of how we are kind of decentralized in a sense, and, and what that means uh, what what that means for us. So, our agreements attach to a cause, and the and the charity is a steward is um is a manager of that cause. So, if the charity can no longer engage in in supporting that cause, then they agree to transfer that. That that wolf, they are contractually bound to transfer that wolf to a charity that does do that cause, until such time, inshallah, that that cause is no longer needed, 
and then we can then then we 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 will have to transfer to a similar or or or, or a like cause. So um, the, the, I just want to bring this into a decentralization um, discussion. So from a, from the perspective of good deeds, the idea is that it can't fail. You're not tied to a charity which can fail. So any one charity can fail, right? Um, but now this 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 fund can go to any number of charities um, that so long as they're fitting within the criteria. And for every charity, we have a series of ideas on backups and other charities that we can use. We also have a mechanism to hold hold the funds again with a nonprofit um, to 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 distribute them to other charities just in case something catastrophic happens. So we have multiple redundancies in place from a charity perspective. But put aside the charity perspective. God for so um, after fund itself is is structured to prevent this this sort of catastrophe. Um, or in the event of this catastrophe, to ensure that the that the money that that is donated exists in perpetuity itself. Um, here is the the first thing. First, we have um, uh, we, there's a there's a considerable age gap between me and Janan. I'm well aware of my mortality, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm doing this. Um, after I die, Janan. Uh, actuarily will inshallah be able to um, be, be there for the business and so at least within a couple of generations we're we're, we're good in that way one two let's say that after fund itself for god knows what god, god forbid some reason goes away well that money is still diversified amongst the charities and those charities still have an agreement between them and the donors which we've arranged one of one of several agreements them and the donor. So it's not just that they have an agreement with us. They have an agreement with the donor that that money has to be used in a certain way, right? So even if after fund itself goes under, God forbid, even if after fund itself goes goes under, that charity then can continue with the funds. And if the charity has to dissolve, they have an obligation to move the money to somebody else who does the exact same thing. So with or without after fund, now after fund is an added layer of trust and we're we're a way of, of 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 connecting with these charities, but that the the structure itself um, it amends itself to decentralization, spreading it out amongst a bunch of bunch of different charities, and even in our in our own structure. From the perspective of charities themselves, they're diversifying their donors, so they're getting donors who have never heard of them before. I'll tell you, our donors had never heard of the Chicago charity that we work with um, before. Um, second of all, the charities themselves are are um, creating redundancy in case of mismanagement or acts of God that happen to the charity itself. Um, so that they you know, sometimes sometimes it's not that you know they they do something fraudulently and they don't want to um, fund the 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 thing itself. Sometimes people you know charities are run by older people they can't continue. No problem, no problem. We can help them uh, move the money. So for charities, it creates um, decentralization and diversification of their of their of their donor group for us um, for for the donors it does the same thing it's it's a, it's kind of like a beautiful beautiful story there no that's fantastic okay so my my understanding is that you have basically two roles like the the, the one of the roles which is I think maybe the less important role is that you actually fundraise for the charities um, mm -hmm. and you provide that layer of transparency that trust but the more important role then is you are actually managing the funds. Right, and oh, yeah. you are investing the funds and trying to generate a return on it. So, what do you guys invest in? Yeah, so this, so uh, let me let me just take a very quick step, um, step back and and, and kind of uh, just uh, 
clarify a couple things. So yes, we do. We we do. We fundraise for the charities. I, I view that as the more important part. We are not compensated for that, by the way. So the the charities who come on our website, they don't have to pay anything up front. The idea is that we. The only thing that we can um, that we can compensate ourselves with, the only way we put food on our table is is by managing the funds. Okay, so then yes, we we have a separate company that manages the funds on behalf of the charity, and that um, and those investments are in several several um, several different things. All of them are public securities, basically um, stuff that's that's regulated by the SEC. So our investment arm is regulated by the SEC. You can find us on Finra. Um, it's called Fountaindale. It's uh, it's it's just an investment company. We invest in a diversified portfolio of equities, um, real estate, again securitized real estate, precious metals, um, that 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 kind of stuff. The I would say you know a, a registered investment advisor is an RIA's um, traditional mix of uh, of securities. Um, because because we are regulated by the SEC, we we don't have any um, crypto holdings. Um, uh, so, but but I think you know it's it's possible that over time that that um, as the SEC kind of gets its rules and and, and gets that stuff figured out, it's it's possible that we uh, work work in that sort of stuff. We also don't do any sort of private placements or anything like that because all of our investors quote unquote investors are retail investors. No, nobody's, no one's large enough for us to do a private deal um, or anything like that. And, and that's not something that we'd be interested in the short term anyway. So yeah, that's, um, and all of these are AOFI Sharia compliant. So um, that's the, that's the baseline of all of it. And uh, you know, I've worked in Islamic finance my whole life. I mean, it is my whole life. Inshallah, it will continue to be my whole life. So, um, you know, that's something that we, we keep an eye on and um, our Sharia advisors, um, are all people that I've worked with in the past who know me and who who I who I trust and I've I've seen them operate um, over the course of, of many years. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask. I was like, is everything Sharia compliant? And you said it. So this is fantastic. Yeah. I think it's an awesome idea, and I, I really do believe in the idea of oh, the wakf. As a matter of fact, we have a uh, wakf that we support as contributors. It's called the House of Wisdom, and essentially oh. it's a Web three based wakf that uh, generates. Um, income, I guess, through NFTs, and the the purpose of the work is to support um, Web3 innovators who are doing things which are Sharia compliant, essentially, or aligned with Muslim values. So I, I'm really very, very keen uh, about this idea, and like you, I think this is a fantastic um, way for us to actually, uh, and, and a, a, a pillar of the Islamic economy, let's put it that way. So final words from your side, uh, who or, or where can people find you? How can they contribute and how can they be a part of your movement? Okay, so um, go to afterfun.co um, and you can you can make a donation. It takes like 20 seconds. It's, it's, it's really not a big deal. Um, you can also create a walk for your uh, deceased loved one, something that I've done personally and that um, we've, we've recently added. Um, and now we are coming out with the beta version of our dashboard. So you can see the actual impact of, of what you're doing. Um, stuff on the horizon. Um, Muslims for Change uh, is a uh, nonprofit that is working in Africa. Um, we're, we're, we're getting them, uh, we're working with them, and we're also working with effective altruism, um, something that inspired us deeply and something that I deeply believe in, which is a movement to make sure that you maximize the impact per dollar. And this is all it really comes down to for a Muslim. It's getting the most 
possible good deeds. And honestly, the impact difference is just ridiculous. It's the most possible good deeds uh, that you can from each donation. So afterfun.co, go check us out. Um, and, and please, uh, by all means, if you don't, if you don't see something that you want to support or, um, um, by all means, let us know, because we are always looking to add charities and, and, and looking for, uh, trusted partners, of course. And how can someone reach out to you personally? Yeah. Um, you can email me Omar at afterfund.co. So O-M-A-R. Well, um, and thank you all so much for inviting me. Uh, all thanks uh, due to God and um, also to my parents and my family and uh, everybody who's su supporting me. I, um, you know, all, all this, there are so many people that, that help you out along the way. And I, I appreciate what you guys are doing here, too. And I'm so excited about uh, Takafel. I briefly considered creating a Takafel company myself here in the U.S., but the regulatory hurdles were ridiculous. So I think you guys are doing it the right way. I really believe in the stuff that you're doing and may Allah continue to give you Baraka and build, um, help you guys build something beautiful for our community. And, and uh, we hope to support you guys too. Thank you so much. Jazakumullah. Shukran. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum. Taka Talks. Exposing financial systems. One story at a time.